This is a podcast. We talk about running. We talk about other things too. So please come and join us. We hope you enjoy this. This is on the back foot. Hello and welcome back to the second episode of On the Back Foot. We're here again for another meandering discussion about running and other things too. We'd like to start by saying thanks to our long-suffering girlfriends and mums for their kind feedback on episode one. We'll try to speak more clearly and swear less this time. We also want to make a shout out to who we think was our first official listener. Last week, Phil Preston. Phil is just getting back into his running down in Devon, and we wish him luck on his journey. He's one of many good people who have found running again during the lockdown. We hope that On the Back Foot can keep Phil on the front foot. That's lovely work, Charlie. Absolutely lovely. Beautiful. What, what have you done to your voice? I was going to say, your voiceover work is amazing, but the voice is, is struggling. What's going on, man? I have no idea. I... Uh... I just started losing it yesterday morning on a, on a long run. You've um, not been, been coughing. It was a lot, quite funny, actually. I got fever and a persistent cough. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to be uh, COVID linked. I hope. <laughs> it's quite funny because I I met I met up with a, a a friend who's a very good runner, and there was a little bit of a time pressure. Had to be at the Yorkshire Bridge at 6.30 in the morning to run around Lady Bow Reservoirs. So at 6.05, I left the house and was in a great big panic that I'm going to be late. I'm going to let him down again. And uh, even actually, because I hadn't listened properly to his instructions, I'd actually woken up twice in the night worrying about <laughs> a, not, being, not being fit enough to keep up with him for the duration of a 16-miler. Yeah. And B, I actually had a nightmare where I was meeting him for a run <laughs> with some of his mates, and I turned up with a rucksack which had all sorts of things falling out of it. Amongst that, a kettle. <laughs> I put climbing shoes on, and they were all waiting to start this run. But there I was, <laughs> stumbling along. <laughs> the honest face. I can. I'm, I'm going to pay you a running compliment in the. I don't think you needed to worry about not being fit enough to keep up with him on a long run, but you did need to worry about <laughs> turning up in the wrong place from a rucksack full of kettles. I was going to say that. Exactly, exactly the sort of thing I expect when I meet up with people on a run. And uh, there I was. I got to the Yorkshire Bridge pub at 6.29.49 seconds. I looked at my watch. I smothered myself in congratulations. <laughs> Yeah. And I looked out my window and thought, there's nobody here. <laughs> and then I thought, they didn't mean the Yorkshire Bridge pub. It must be the Yorkshire Bridge, the famous bridge that the lady, you know, that the Yorkshire bombers flew over mm. and practiced. Um, so, yeah, I had to spin the car around and tank it up to there to not be late. So what did they mean? <laughs> I, so I always thought... Isn't the bridge like down at the bottom on the road to Thornhill there? Or is it I'm, imagining, I'm imagining the bridge that turns into the Snakes Pass, the bridge that becomes... Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not the bridge, but yeah, yeah. Not the pub. Is that, is that the actual... Here's my ignorance about the Peak District. Is that actually Yorkshire Bridge then? 
If it is, it's news to me. To be fair, Charlie, again, I'm finding it's, it's worrying this podcast, the amount of times I'm actually agreeing with you. Yes. I would have also gone to Yorkshire Bridge Inn yeah, next to the reservoir if they said that. So. With a rucksack full of kettles. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. I've only got one kettle, but yeah, perhaps not. But I think I have walking boots on and yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It was just a, what, what, what a thing to wake up at four in the morning. Uh, was it a good run after all that? Did you enjoy the run? Fantastic. Good. Absolutely. Well, that's the main thing. That's the main thing. How yeah, about you? Sure. What have you been up to over the weekend and this last sort of week of lockdown? You've been getting out much or just kind of stressing with work or what's been what's been going on? I've stopped. I've stopped running, <laughs> which is useful for this podcast. <laughs> um, uh, I haven't stopped running. I'm just. Uh, I'm not. I'm not feeling the love for running at the moment. So I've been going out doing little bits and bobs, but not very much. I've been climbing loads, been getting out on my bike. I actually, I stubbed a toe oh, uh, and it's fine. I, like, How did you do it, mate? What did you do? It was about three weeks ago doing uh, kick-ups, keepy-uppies in my garden. It's like a kind of lockdown thing. Nice. And you know when you, when you slam your toes like, into the ground when you slightly misjudge things? Yeah. yeah I did yeah. that and it bent my big toe back. Uh, and it's really sore, but the only time it really manifests itself as being sore is when I'm running up on hill. I'm running uphill, rather. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to sort of, you know, your big toe yeah, comes and play on almost. Because a bit like I got inspired by today's episode guest, Tom Beaumont, in to oh, do lots of uphill running. Uh, and I found I can't, I can't, I don't enjoy it at the moment because it's hurt, it hurts. And yet that's no. what I'm supposed for. So I did, so I've been climbing a lot. I did have a run with all my climbing kit in a rucksack up onto the kinder edges, uh, the kinder northern edges, like above the snake pass. Lovely. That was amazing. Uh, for the nature lovers uh, out there, I saw a peregrine falcon. Nice. And, and a green hair streak butterfly. And I, I, I told my mum about the green hair streak butterfly and she thought... I, I put like a green streak in my hair and was quite upset about it. And <laughs> yeah, no, so yeah, that's been that's been my week. <laughs> How about you, Alan? Um, it's been it's been all right. I've I've moved back to Sheffield. So during the the lockdown period, Emma, my other half, and I were were isolating over at my parents' farm in the Peak District. So we moved back to Sheffield. Oh yeah, the old um, Dominic Cummings approach. Oh yeah, completely. <laughs> when we saw some castles. It is very near Ryber Castle, so there is a castle within. I I could see a castle. Um, As a driving at the moment, all right. Sorry. As a driving at the moment, in your eyesight. (laughs) Very good satire as well. What a great podcast this is. Political satire, I know. We're really branching (laughs) out. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. So no, so so I've moved back to Sheffield, which is it's been really nice actually. Just kind of getting back to it. Been working plenty from home. I've started running again more frequently at the moment so I'm kind of splitting my time pretty much down the middle between running and cycling um so I'm kind of getting out two three times a week actually no three four times a week at the moment which is really nice actually the the one frustration I have is where sort of Emma and I live in Sheffield which is which is wood seats we're kind of not in the center of Sheffield but we're actually annoyingly close yet annoyingly far away from the Peak District so if yeah. I want to go for a trail run in the morning before starting work, as it were, where I'm sat now yeah. in my dining room, um, 
I'd have to drive for half an hour to, to get out there to then run on the trails to get back. And it's, it's kind of one of those slight frustrations I'm finding at the moment. Um, you've got the glories of Graves Park on your doorstep. There are only so many times you can walk around Graves Park in a two-month period when it's, you know, especially when we're in that initial <laughs> lockdown. It was, yeah. Graves Park is great, but you know what I mean? Just trying to get out there. And I suppose yeah. where you Same. are in Gravestone, you're quite close to all. But anyway, I'm, I'm loving being back in Sheffield. I'm getting plenty of running in, which is which is nice. And so I had such a kind of a good time off from it. Um, it's just yeah. How about you, Jamie? What have you been up to? Just I've been keeping ticking over, you know. Um, I think I've lost a bit of motivation. Kind of like uh, you said a bit about really. Uh, I think I had a good a good a good chunk of training, and then I don't know. There's no I haven't really got any races. You know, none of the fell races going on. I don't know what what races coming up. So kind of I've lost a bit of impetus to. To, to train but I suppose that's just been replaced by yeah I've just been happy to get out and run had some really nice runs out on the peaks now been able to drive out a bit more I guess uh, since we've been able to lock down did a bit of wild swimming uh, swimming out on Barbrook found some nice nice spots to get out and get around there so you know just just keeping going trying not to try not to go too crazy but yeah doing all right doing all right I mean I've not, I've not been doing any football I've not stubbed any toes or anything like that I've not been I've not been uh, having any nightmares about running, so it's not it's not going too badly. Coming back to uh, Bart's little story, it reminded me of possibly my favourite tweet of the lockdown period, which was, I've just been next door to, uh, <laughs> or I may, might have been shouting over the fence to my neighbour, could I just have my ball back, please? I'm 34 <laughs> years old. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been really worried about that actually. There's been a couple of close, close calls. Don't, <laughs> oh don't no, I did greenhouse. <laughs> I did something really bad. I, I right at the, when I bought the football because I thought right at the start, just before we went into lockdown, I thought I know what I need. I need some. I need a couple of footballs so I can play football in my back garden. I bought it and it arrived obviously without air in it. I've not factored that in to my purchasing. So I borrowed next door, the kids next door, they play football, they got a football pump. So I borrowed their football pump, but I hadn't, because I was worried about coronavirus. I didn't, you know how you're meant to like wet? The, uh, lick the little needle thing. Um, oh. As a kid growing up, I always just did it with saliva. And I thought, I can't do that. That'd be like, I might kill them, it'd be awful. <laughs> so I didn't do that, but I didn't think I could do it with water. I just that didn't occur to me so I just I went in and pumped it up and the needle broke off inside the ball so uh, I broke their pump and my ball's got a little rattle to it now. so rather than killing the children you just killed their dreams basically I just killed and their, dreams. Now their football's flat I did replace I, I replaced the pump but I um, felt awful I felt absolutely <laughs> it took me back to you know like breaking neighbours conservatories as, as a kid that sort of thing <laughs> Uh, anyway, should we um, should we crack on with today's interview? Who have we uh, who have we got? Our listeners are in for a treat this episode because we've got a chap called Tom Beaumont who's kindly agreed to chat to us. We all know Tom through our mutual running club of Totley AC. Um, he's a man who likes hills. He likes Sheffield. He likes running up hills. He likes running up hills in Sheffield, and sometimes he likes running up hills in other places as well. Um, and on top of that, Tom's a pretty good artist too. Tom was the first person I think we all thought of interviewing when we got this podcast going, and it's a pleasure to have him here with us now. So, Tom, welcome to On the Back Foot. 
How are you? And how's your training going this week? What have you been doing? This way, I'm trying to get to 70 miles. Like, I've not done that for at least 10 years, probably. So it's going all right. No injuries, but it's just a bit tough getting out every day, doing double days. Now we're allowed to do double days, getting out in the morning, yeah. in the afternoon. But yeah, it's going is all right. It, is there anything in, the, in particular that's like motivating at the minute to be doing that? There's no races on or... There's nothing motivating me to get out. And keep, it's more keeping on top of what I've got. I think at this moment, frustratingly, I think I'm the fittest I've ever been, which is really annoying. So I'm just trying to maintain that. That's the motivation is not like that slip for when things do open back up and we do get to race again and run again. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are in that situation where they've obviously been training through the winter and into the spring for a kind of a, a spring spring road half marathon or marathon or even an ultra and stuff. And then all of a sudden races have been cancelled and you come into a lockdown period where there's nothing essentially to do, but you're in sort of the best shape of your life. So you could, yeah, it's nice I, I, you, you've gone, it's nice that you've gone that way with it and decided to maintain it. Whereas I think we found out in the first podcast, I went the other way and just thought, screw just it. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, you, I'm, I'm intrigued. You said that uh, the last time you'd done seven, a 70 mile a week was 10 years ago. To me, you don't look old enough to have been doing that. Sort of like 10 years ago. <laughs> what were you doing then? Yeah, uh, what was that? Well, that, that's kind of like tied into when I first got into running. I'm not from a sporty running background. So I never did it at school, never did it at university. I didn't run until I was 30. Just I was one of these people that said, if it's not chasing the ball, what's the point in running? I, I love playing sport, but running was just dull. So from that, I kind of like, realized I was incredibly unfit when I approached my 30s your natural kind of ability to kind of be energetic just wears off and so yeah. I decided I needed to get into something and running was it so I, I guess I went straight from nothing to wanting to just run as much as possible but without knowing what to do pretty so impressive I, I, that kind of yeah. you know that kind of mileage early on in a did it backfire did you get injured or oh completely completely it's kind of hubris I just kind of thought running's not that hard it's just just speeded up walking uh, yeah. and so I, start, I signed up for a 100k race uh, and that was the first thing I did I thought I just want to do that sounds yeah. like fun so what, what what was the motivation to do the the 100k first up what influenced you to think oh yeah that sounds like a good idea I'll do that first so I, I just got into running and then I read that born to run book yeah okay. yeah yeah <laughs> that just come out and I was really into doing hiking with my mate uh, We'd go up to the lakes and do like a long weekend, a wild camping, and I've done a couple of European, like two or three week treks across, uh, like the GR20 course. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And I read that book and I thought, you know what? That's like a it's a sense of adventure, and you you, you're not just running around the field like hundreds of times. You're just going somewhere amazing and running. I thought I want to do that, and my mate phoned me up coincidentally about a week later and said oh I found this 100k race would you mind like running a section of it with me I was like no I want to run it with you I want to do the whole thing (laughs) so but yeah I I just got downloaded a training plan for a 100k race did that over 16 weeks uh had loads of breaks because it's got things like shin splints and kind of like uh other injuries and then basically did the race buggered up my ITB during the race but didn't stop and just kind of yeah. ran through the pain <laughs> and then for a year and a half afterwards couldn't walk more than a couple of miles just really <laughs> it up. I had something really similar Tom when I started running 
because uh, I, I, I had done a bit at school and then after school didn't do any for, for 10 years and um, my brother-in-law he was also into doing these um, you know like the original mountain marathon these like two-day orienteering slash fell running races he was really good at them like so he was doing the elite the elite courses and so, so the elite course of the original mountain marathon which is something like the 30 or 40 miles each per day with god knows how much ascent and just like all of it really tussocky and hard work and my brother-in-law and he was doing one and his his partner dropped out at the last minute because he knew i was like quite fit and you know did a bit of mountaineering and all that so i stupidly i thought oh yeah great i'll, I'll do that and then not just stupidly thought i'll do that as my friend. i've never done anything like that before but not only did i think that was a good idea i thought do you know what let's give it a proper proper go as well you know they can't how hard could it be uh, i got iliotibial band syndrome about two hours in that just got worse and worse through the first day i couldn't i couldn't walk i couldn't bend my leg at all on the second day so we had to withdraw uh, and then for the next year and a half you know i'd struggle to walk for more than a mile or two that sounds yeah similar a similar sort of eyes too big for your stomach and did you find so when you got back to running and started again and perhaps entered that second race and said did you find that your kind of attitude to training and preparation had changed straight away because of that kind of almost mistake the first time around or do you find that's been kind of a an ongoing process until now is it kind of like a light switch moment where you're like okay perhaps I need to concentrate more on what I'm doing and how I'm doing it or has that been kind of quite an organic kind of process that's been quite an organic thing I was never like I said I was never surrounded by other people that ran so I was kind of on my own didn't have a clue what I was doing I wasn't reading running magazines I wasn't there was yeah I wasn't on the internet going on forums and kind of getting training advice I didn't realize you people could get coaches and stuff like yeah. that so I was just downloading I guess a, a 10k training plan with that was the next thing I went on to I thought right sod the big stuff that hurts and it's going to ruin me again I'll start off with a, a 10k and just started off doing that but I literally didn't know what I was doing I think I ran. I, I had a pair of Blackburn Rovers football shorts. Yeah. I think because that's all the sporting gear I had. I had stuff for playing football, but I obviously couldn't run in football boots. So I had a pair of high-tech hiking trainers that were just so not made for running, but that's what I ran in. Uh, and had a really thick British Lions rugby shirt. Nice. Yeah. Absolutely Good. drenched in sweat, but that was, oh no, that's sporting equipment, that's what you wear. Do you kind of base your training on an ethos at the moment? Are you, are you one for kind of planning out your training months in advance on a daily basis, or are you more, I feel pretty good, I'm going to do this for a bit, or what's the, what kind of normally? Yeah, I've just, just like over the last year got into kind of looking at things on a macro scale and kind of like thinking, okay, let's plan this out for a year. Not worry about the nitty gritty, but where do I want to be? What do I want to do? And I, I love hill running. If I see a mountain, I want to know, can I run to the top of it, basically? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I love that kind of training, which has also put me in a position of not being able to find information on how to train for that properly. Everyone can find like a, a marathon schedule kind of for doing like a sub three and a nice flat road. But where do you find the training schedule for, I don't know, doing something like the Mont Blanc marathon? If you train for a sub three marathon, you know you need to do speed work and you know you're based on time. You're based on kind of like doing 
I don't know, seven, six and a half minute miles. And if you can hold that, then you're fine. But how do you prepare yourself to run up a big mountain? You can't just keep running up a big mountain if there isn't there. You've got to kind of work out a strategy to train your body to do it. And that information is less readily available, I guess. Yeah, completely. And I think it's one of the things I think that we mentioned very briefly at the end of the last podcast. But for those of us kind of here today and those of kind of the people that are listening that do know you and kind of say follow you on Strava and things is we always say there's the Beaumont-esque run. Um, kind of almost renowned for in the Sheffield area for your kind of crazy, crazy ascents, even if you're not out, say, in the Peak District. So you're kind of known for finding little snickets that no one even knows exist in Sheffield and, you know, doing crazy routes and things. And it's, it's, I say it's really interesting from someone looking in that, that you've kind of gone that way and it's a quite a different way of training that you don't really see for most people, you know? So well, I'm, going to, I'm going to interrupt there and say, and I'm going to preempt it, my take on it, is that it's not anything to do with structured training. It's just because Tom's an artist. So he's, thinking, <laughs> he's thinking, how can I make my map on Strava as, like, as complicated and wiggly as possible? Yeah. What they look like is, have you seen those scientific experiments where they give different drugs to spiders? And they see what <laughs> no, but it sounds like I want to. So tell us more about that. <laughs> they gave loads of different drugs to a spider and then see what happened, see what web it spun. And like the, the spider. Like recreational that, drugs or medicinal drugs? Uh, recreational drugs, class right. A drugs. And there's like the spider on crack was just mental, just like <laughs> completely off it. They gave like one, some weed, and it just, I think it spun a couple of lines and then just sat in the middle. <laughs> but yeah, look it up. It's brilliant. So your runs. Spider crack runs more than any Definitely other. Spider, the the kind of like LSD probably as well thrown in there. <laughs> no regular shapes going on. And I know you've kind of been enforced, obviously, over the last couple of months. With you know, we've not been able to go and and run so far. So some of your Beaumont esque runs have been through circumstance, necessarily rather than a ch- choice. But you know, have you thought, okay, well, I've got this opportunity, so. I've got to do boring kind of runs on the streets. I'm going to do some mental training and try and do really kind of repetitive up and down street runs and kind of work on my, on my mental strength yeah. as well as my leg strength. Just I'm going to do something boring that I wouldn't normally do because it'll toughen me up. And, you know, when I actually come to run on the hills, this will feel like a doddle kind of thing. Is there an element of that? Or? There is, yeah. So I've probably got, there's probably two different style runs you'll see pop up my Strava. There's the one like we've been talking about, the crazy spiderweb type one. But also I've been doing just up and down on a street. So I'll find the nearest street I can to my house that's quite steep, Sheffield steep. And I'll just aim to run up and down it for two hours and see if I can do a vertical kilometre on it. Oh yeah, the v- yeah yeah the VK. Right. What I found is if I if I run for two hours at a nice and easy pace, this isn't it's not a time trial thing. I'm not trying to do it as fast as I can, but just go out there for two hours. I'll just about get the was it three thousand three hundred foot is about what a thousand meters. So I'll yeah. just about get there and do it. But it is mental. It's 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 like a race in itself. You go out there and you think this would be fun. This would be brilliant. I'll just like I wonder how far I'll go. I wonder how high I'll go. And you'll do two reps and you think, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? <laughs> and then you get like half an hour of paranoia of like thinking, people are going to be watching me and thinking, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. And then after about an hour, you've just settled into a rhythm and you've kind of started zoning out. You've started looking around, noticing different. And then it becomes really easy. 
and you're just kind of like, oh, wow. And then like race, there's a certain tipping point where you think, I'm, I'm done now. And then you've got like half an hour left and that's like the longest half an hour. You just got to keep churning it out. And then you do it and you've got that lovely sense of euphoria of like, I've just done something kind of like a little bit different and it's <laughs> toughened me up. Oh, I think that's great. Do you, do you ever have people come out of their houses and say hello to you? Yeah, I mean, I did one Wednesday and there was 30 repetitions on Bishop Scott Road. And some people look at you and kind of acknowledge you. Some people don't want to acknowledge you. I always assume someone's going to come out of the house and kind of chase me off with a broom. And yeah. like, get off my street. But no one's ever done that yet. Uh, yeah, some no people one likes to mess with a spider on crack, do they? No, yeah, some people are curious. They do ask what I'm doing. And I just explain I'm doing hill training. I can't get out to the peaks at the moment. So making do with the local roads. Yeah, as you say, Tom, um, you've not been able to get out of the peaks, I assume, because of the lockdown. And uh, I know you're training at the start of the year for uh, a big race. Did, did the lockdown affect that at all? Yeah, I mean, we've all had races cancelled. But I think I got to within four days of my marathon. A road marathon or a trail marathon? A, a trail marathon, mountain marathon. Yeah. And I was flying out on the Thursday and the race got cancelled on the Wednesday afternoons. So there was no room to kind of cancel the hotel, cancel the flight or anything. So, yeah, peak fitness, everything down the drain, really frustrating. Uh, oh. But I went out anyway uh, <laughs> to try and just have a little running holiday. How did that go? Well, at the time, they said, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Coronavirus isn't affecting the area. Went out Thursday. By Friday, things were starting to change a little bit. And then by Saturday, I was subjected to Spanish lockdown, which meant being confined, confined to the hotel grounds. We weren't even allowed out on the streets. And then by Sunday, I was confined to my room in the hotel. And mm-hmm. Plus, I'd gone by myself. I just bought the cheapest, crappiest hotel I could. <laughs> so it was like oh, living no. in a box uh, with a beach visible. Uh, oh man <laughs> kicking the teeth so yeah so the peak fitness kind of confined to a box uh, was frustrating what, to it, was, it was brilliant living it through your whatsapp updates and for me the favorite one was when you were you allowed out at one stage to get to go to a shop we're allowed yeah. out to get food and water, yeah. yeah. I remember this. They are, yeah. We'll have to see if we can find the picture and put it up on our I, th- I, think, I think Tom might have sent us all. I think it was a short video of you running down the beachfront with a bottle of wine in your hand doing a run <laughs> from the beach. Um, <laughs> sirens and helicopters. Get chased by the Spanish police. Yeah. They were, they were out in force with the megaphones out of the car. But yeah, I was allowed out to get essentials. So my essential was to get a bottle of wine and some cereal bars. And I just snuck in a circuit of the seafront uh, whilst I was allowed out. Uh, I think in, um, if I remember correctly, I think in typical Beaumont fashion, we were, I think we were talking about how far you could run within your room. Um, and in typical Beaumont fashion, you, I think you worked out how tall the bed was so you could get some vertical the elevation. Yeah, the bedside, the bedside cabinets were like half a metre high. So I think it was like seven and a half thousand times if I stepped up and down, I'd be the right amount of climb. But yeah... So we, talk, we talked about doing a marathon in a hotel room and then it was a joke. And then within a couple of weeks, somebody had done one on the balcony, hadn't they? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think, yeah, some crazy things are happening in Europe. I say, I think we've been quite lucky here in the UK that even when we were on full lockdown, we were still, you know, able to get out for that. 
40 minutes a day or whatever it was initially. So but I think, uh, yeah, some of the European countries, especially in sort of Spanish areas, have been... Um, yeah, you, you weren't allowed out. No one was allowed out at all. It was only dog walkers that were allowed out, and that was it. Tom, obviously you put in a lot of mega training uh, to get your fitness up and then you've spent the last couple of months maintaining and improving on that fitness. I know we don't really know how the next couple of months are going to unfold, but have you got your eye on a race in the future or anything in particular that you'd, you'd like to do over the next couple of months? Well, yeah, I did. I entered quite a few races, like Feb- February time, kind of rather off- optimistically, and they were all around the summer. so. Depending on what happened, I could I could have a very busy <laughs> September, October, November. I could have p- potentially a marathon every weekend, maybe some even on the same weekend. I think that takes you, I remember you a couple of years ago, you did a marathon a month. I think that takes it to another level, isn't it? A marathon a week. Yeah, I, I loved that. I, I really did love doing a marathon a month. That was a, it was good fun. <laughs> Sounds it. Well, I think that was like, that was two years ago. I was probably in a similar situation where I'd done all the races I want for the year this is like end of 2017 during the winter I was just going out into the peak district just keeping my fitness ticking over and I'm not about speed I'm a short guy with short legs so a fast 5k isn't really my thing but I can do endurance and I can keep going and going and going so during that winter I thought you know what it won't be so bad if every month I turned one of these long runs into a marathon and why not do it somewhere in the UK that I've never been before and just have a little adventure so that's where that came about. And that was, I would really recommend, it doesn't have to be a marathon, but one year I would recommend you once a month doing whatever your favourite race distance is. So whether it be a 10k, 5k, you're just doing a race every month and just going around the country doing that. Because you learn so much. That's yeah. better than any coach, I think, because you learn yourself, learn how you deal with things. So if you want to do a marathon and you only do one a year and something goes wrong in that marathon, then you probably make the wrong decision. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you've got that back catalogue of mistakes and errors that you've done previously, you kind of work out, okay, I know what I need to do now to rectify this. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that leads on quite nicely, actually, that one of the main sort of premises of this podcast we've set out from the start is mistakes we've all made whilst running and also kind of how not to be a runner, as it were. So of these mistakes you've made over the years and stuff, could you could you pick out one in particular that was like that looking back was a bit of a stupid mistake during an event. And if you go back to Tom Beaumont 10 years ago, circa 2010, um, and he's, as he was embarking on his ultra running career, what would be, I guess, the, the main advice you would give him going forward, I guess? So, yeah, so what would be that biggest mistake? And then also what would you tell, tell young Tom? I think the biggest mistake was just like, just a whole catalogue of, errors in one race that was just made an absolute nightmare uh it still sticks out in my head it was on i think it was called the sheer 42k and it was on the hottest day of the year so it was like close to 36 37 degrees i'd looked at the course i knew there was about three and a half thousand feet of climb last year somebody won it in about three hour three and a half hours something like that where is it sorry tom uh sheer so is it it's near guildford i think it's guildford where yeah so yeah, hot day of the year. I'd looked at the times and I thought, if I just kind of plug away, nothing special, I've got a chance of coming in the top three. And depending on who turns up, this is not me being big-headed, but just practically, I think, oh, if no one decent turns up, I might kind of have a chance of like taking the top spot. 
because uh, it's only a small race, I think maybe a couple of hundred max maybe do it. So I think I had a good two miles of that race at the start, and then it just all went wrong. It was like, like, it, like a lot of the Totley Fell races, it started on a cricket pitch, and you did a crazy lap round, like fast as you can round it, and then just went straight up a big hill. And about 30 people passed me on the lap of the cricket pitch, and as we were going up the hill, I slowly started reeling people in, thought, this is good. And then got to the top and, it, and I could see first, first and second place just about 20 metres ahead of me. And the course descended and it went, all, went zigzaggy through wood and I lost sight of them. And then it flattened out and I couldn't see them. And I thought, they've, they've kicked at three miles. That's, that's a bit brave. And then I ran along for a bit and I still couldn't see them. And I thought, I think I've gone wrong here. <laughs> and, uh, there was a pair of walkers coming towards me. I said, that's, that's two guys run past you. And they're like, no. Balls. <laughs> I've gone wrong. I mean, it's, it's a marked course. So I don't have a map. And I was thinking, I'm going to have to turn around here. And as I turned around, I'm like the Pied Piper. There's like a trail of runners behind me. <laughs> as soon as they saw me turn around, they all turned around. So I went from being in third position <laughs> back at the end of this queue. So I had to run back. And at this point, I'm angry because I've gone wrong. So I start running faster to overtake all these people that are suddenly now ahead of me again. So I kind of like charge up the hill, running way faster than my pace should be. And that, this goes on for about five or six miles because like, there were some people that found the right way as well. So I was probably back down in 50th position or something like that. So I'm angry, running way faster than I need to be. It's hot. And every time I go take a turn, there's this paranoia, have I gone wrong again? Yeah. So I'm kind of like jittery. And then I think after about 10 miles, I'm just rushing through an aid station and I just rip my, uh, not a utility belt, what do you call it? Yeah, the belt that goes around you, just like the race pack, race belt. Yeah. I fun rip bag. it. Fun bag. Fanny yeah, fanny, fanny pack. For our American audience. Yeah, I, I, rip, I rip my fanny pack that has one of the soft flasks in. So yeah. I'm reduced down to just having a little bit of water left on a really hot day. So rather than do the sensible thing and slow down, I think I'll just run faster <laughs> to get to the next aid station. Yeah, good, good thinking. Tom. That's good race logic. Good race logic. As soon as I can get there, the kind of like the less thirsty I'll be, uh, and I can fill up on my one remaining soft last. So I do that, and then I start getting cramped. It's a, yeah, it's just an absolute nightmare. Yeah, a comedy of errors where everything seemed to go wrong. All on one day. To make things worse, I got about 20 miles in, and as I passed the checkpoint, somebody said, you're in second place. And I'd managed to crawl all my way back through the field, so that spurred me on, which is a bad thing, because I started going up the hill, and a walker passed me and said, do you want some water? Now I was like, no, I'm fine, thanks. And she said, let me pour this bottle of water over your head. At this point, I'm thinking, maybe I don't look that great. Yeah. <laughs> My vision started going, then I started getting nausea, and then the, to the point where the nausea just wouldn't go away and it just vomited everywhere. And I realized I wasn't sweating and I had no water left. And I basically got a heat stroke. Yeah. <laughs> walk, walk for six miles back in. Uh, so, yeah, work, that was the worst experience of my, of my running career. It's funny, isn't That's it, it, when like, you sort of think, oh, you might be in with a chance in this race. It does weird things to you and weird things to your decision-making. 
where you end up taking maybe more risks than you would have, you know, you're going to finish way down in the field. And it's, yeah. yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway of something like that is if you have a race plan, stick to it. No matter what happens, don't get dragged into other people's races. Don't get kind of like caught up trying to rectify a situation that's gone slightly wrong. Just stick to your plan and you'll be all right. It's a very good take-home message that I think you could be the most seasoned of runners or cyclists or any kind of sort of race athletes, but it's sometimes very, very hard to stick to your own plan, especially at the end of the day when you're doing a race, you're there to race people. So when, you know, there's those outside influences affecting what you want to do, it's, I think it's, yeah, it takes a lot of willpower sometimes to actually go, no, I'm going to let them run off ahead of me because I'll stick to my plan and I'll rein them back in or vice versa or whatever. I think, yeah, I think that's quite a good thing for people to kind of take home and as long as your plan's a good one, that's the main thing. Um, that is true, yeah. You can have a horrible plan. Just run as fast as you can for the whole race. That's your plan. Oh, that, okay. sounds, that sounds very like Jamie Rutherford's uh, racing race case advice. Yeah. So whenever I ask you about tips for racing, that's pretty much what you say. Start hard, stay hard. I oh, know that sounds a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that wasn't fast. my racing tips. That wasn't my racing tips. You well, that's, that's a whole different chat. Come on, guys. Yeah. Different conversation we were having. Sorry, Jamie. That was another hot tip. Is content note on this bloody podcast now? I do advocate um, doping in some circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, you, you sound you sound wise now, coming coming from the guy who uh, entered a hundred k race and hobbled around for a year and a half what's really like steered so you one, into, into a better path have you read some books that have helped you since um your first outing or or, or have you is it all been trial and error the one recently that i've got it's called the uphill athlete yeah, yeah i know someone else who's reading that and loving it if you're interested in races that have a lot of climbing it's a good way of kind of getting an overview of how to train it won't set out a training plan for you but it'll give you insight in what you need to do and you can go away and make your own plan, which yeah. is something I hadn't done until that point. But yeah, that has been a real massive help. Up until then, I'm a, I was a big advocate of having someone give me something that I could tick off. But I think I've worked out running's a bit more looser than that. You don't have to be as regimented. And if you, if you are that regimented, it might not be the best thing. So, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's something I personally really struggle with, and I know I do. I I really struggle if I don't have an outside influence or an outside kind of being that kind of helps me with my training, or almost has a record of what I should be doing. And I struggle to be able to just go out and do something because I know it's right. I I, I really struggle if I don't have that. And I think that's something, especially I say, Tom, we've we've run a lot together over the years, and it's something I always try to take and bring that into my training a bit more if I can. But I think it's easier said than done. I think it's, you know, it's a mental space to get into, really, isn't it? I think there's comfort in having a plan given to you because you think, oh, that's probably going to be foolproof. If somebody's done it for me, then if you follow that, yeah, it gives you comfort. Hmm. I think if you go out and do your own plan, then there's potential you've just got it all wrong. Yeah, true. And I think, I think sort of especially the type of running you do and the type of running you enjoy time in terms of those longer distances and also the hills um like you said earlier it's it's very hard to find any training plans for that there's no you know religious site the actual kind of science on how to do that and how to train for that and it's it is very much a kind of suck it and see and 
I think it's kind of a, a, a mental way of doing things. I remember one thing you said to me, I think it was last year, and I think it, it actually resonated quite a lot with me, especially when I started training for kind of ultra stuff is, I remember you saying to me, treat up hills as, as a rest. Yeah, just follow into a nice little rhythm. See, see the uphill is your rest and everything else is the actual hard work. Whereas most people, naturally, whether you're just starting out doing couch to 5K or even some very, very good club runners, you look at hills and think, right, that's the hard bit. That's the bit I need to blast up. That's the bit where I can lift my heart rate and dig deeper. Whereas actually, potentially doing these mountain marathons or even just longer stuff, let alone off-road, actually looking at the hills as that's where I can just settle into a rhythm and, and use it as recovery and push elsewhere. I think it's, it's quite an interesting way of doing things. You know, if, if you are going, you know, listeners are going into their first ultra this year or we're supposed to be or perhaps doing one next year is you can't just get told something and there all of a sudden you know how to do it. It's especially in these longer things. It's a case of there will be a case of trial and error and working out what works for you and you can't really expect to just suddenly get into something and get it bang on first time. Like you might do, but that's probably fluke rather than getting it right for a reason you know i think what so just within this last year or so i've worked out that if i want to do a race that's got say like ten thousand feet of climb and i go out and do a i don't know 50 60 mile week but the total elevation i do in that week is only three thousand feet that isn't going to prepare me for that race i may be able to do the distance but you'll just fall apart on the hills so the my kind of crazy spiderweb running kind of where I'm just going up and down a hill or several hills kind of doing little kind of thousand or hundred foot climbs, but just repetitively during my training week, I want to be able to hit the elevation that the race has as a minimum. So I want to hit 10,000 feet within a week. I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but I view it as the same as like if you were training to run a flat marathon, but you never ran more than 25 miles in a week. Yeah. You can got to be able to do the climb so that's yeah. where the, this kind of hill obsession has come from is just kind of a realization that yeah you've got to put in the work tom are you are you really gently jogging back down these hills because if i imagine myself oh. doing hill hill reps in sheffield on the on the on the concrete i'd be like i think it would be the, the descending that would make me more nervous maybe you could set up some things so you could like have a skateboard and a rope and as you're running up you could be dragging the skateboard behind you using your hands on some kind of rope system and then you could go back down the hill on the skateboard so you could go down the hill a lot quicker and you could actually get a lot more we could almost make wait, wait, wait. you a rudimentary ski lift for one of your hill reps in Sheffield. Could be like a GoFundMe <laughs> project. Like a downhill ski lift. Yeah. Yeah, for, for running training. Because I mean, I one fail swoop, we've ruined Tom Beaumont's running career. <laughs> As he crashes into a parked car at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did read a story of someone um, doing hill training by running up to the top, and it was either their wife or their girlfriend waiting for them and then driving them back down to the bottom so they could run up the hill again. Talking of Sheffield <laughs> training, I think um, a certain Seb Co did something very similar with his dad when he was training. His dad used to drive next to him going up some of the hills out Fullwood Way, I think, and then he'd hop in the car at the top, drive him back down so he didn't have as much time to recover and, and repeat it. I think that was one of Seb Co's famous sessions in Sheffield back in the day. So. Um, one last thing I really wanted to talk about, Tom, briefly, looking behind your, your head on Zoom, obviously the viewers can't see this, we can see a very bright and colourful kind of mural artwork that is obviously by your, by your own hand. Um, and some of 
I guess the listeners might not know you by name for Strava and racing and stuff, but they might know you by your, I don't know, call it pseudonym maybe? No, pseudonym's not the right word. What word am I asking for, Bart? Artist name, I guess. I don't know. Stage name. Stage name. Stage name. We'll go with stage name. That's better than pseudonym. That was very wrong. Apologies, everybody. Um, People will know you maybe by the name Running Inc. Um, Especially for Sheffield locals and maybe, maybe further afield. So obviously that is kind of you kind of doing some sort of artwork and illustrations based on some of the races you've done and the, the cool places you've been. So I don't know if you want to just give us a, a brief run through of kind of how that came about. Have you always been kind of into art? Has that been something that you've kind of enjoyed as part of your running and getting out to these cool places or is it kind of yeah. a entity? So I've always been into art. I did art at A-level. always enjoyed sketching, doing pictures. And I think when I first moved to Sheffield, I think I gave you one, Ali. I, I did a picture of, I think it was a Lady Bower bridge when viewed from Bamford Edge. And it was just a patterned version of the landscape. It was just quite nice to draw something like that. And then I think I drew a runner in one just absentmindedly. And I thought, oh, do you know what? That really works. And they're kind of like, I can convert all these races and runs I've done into kind of a, a very simplified landscape sketch with blocky runners in them. It started off as a way of keeping a diary of races I've done. I think it was yourself and Steve Franklin who kind of maybe encouraged me to kind of sell them. So I took the plunge and yeah, other people that I didn't know did like them. So I thought, oh, maybe, maybe they are all right. It's just a nice way of kind of having a little memory of a race that I've done. And if I can give that to other people, that's great. Yeah. And I can honestly say, say for the listeners that, that haven't seen them, they are really incredible. And they're, they're quite different to the kind of the, the standard race memorabilia you can get. Um, and obviously, Tom, you say you've got a website, obviously, where things are available and you've got an Instagram and whatnot. So do you know what the, the handles off those and people can go check them yeah. out? The website is runningink.co.uk and runningink.co.uk is also the, uh, I've got an Instagram and Facebook page. You can yeah. Yeah, find me on there. I'll, I'll pop those in the podcast description. So if people aren't sure, they can just go in the description and, and check them out in there as well. It's been great hearing everything you've had to say, Tom. You summarised it, I think, when you said you've just got to do the hard work sometimes. You've got to yeah. do the hill works. You've got to do the climbing. Yeah, I think you've got, to, you've got to go for what you enjoy. And that, there's no point doing hard work up a hill rep if you don't enjoy that. I think you've got to find out what it is within the sport that you like and zone in on that. And don't be worried about other people not enjoying that part of it. No, I definitely think there's some really helpful stuff there. I mean, I know the stuff that I'll take away. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Tom. It's very kind of you for being our guinea pig for our first one. So perhaps when we're on our 10th series, 10 years down the line, um, we'll perhaps revisit and see what Tom 10 years from now will look back on and, and say, why did I do that after lockdown? That was the worst thing in the world to do. Why did I go on that podcast? Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my, my knees might have blown out as well by then, Charlie, as well. <laughs> yeah. Nah, you'll have your skateboard by then, mate. Oh, yes. <laughs> you can pull me up that hill on your skateboard. Lovely stuff. Well, thank you very much, Tom. Um, well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that interview. Uh, obviously, we all love Tom. He's fantastic. I love his approach to running. I love the... I've got really psyched on the uphill stuff. Um, but the thing that stuck in my mind was, you know, when he talked about the, the um, spiders webs, spiders mm. on drugs and the different webs. So I looked it up and true enough, there's some stuff on the Internet showing you these different webs that spiders do. Really? With drugs. And uh, OK, uh, there's a, a caveat. 
that it appears entirely non-science it says it's a nasa experiment but it's only on sites like reddit and stuff like that so i'm not, <laughs> <Buzzing. laughs> I'm not sure quite oh, one of them has a big a big word legit across <laughs> all of them which makes me think it might not be but um but, but the drug so have a guess at which drug made the, the wackiest spider's web oh did, did we got a list there'll be like ecstasy or lsd or something just have a pun it's um, there's okay. no Cocaine, Charlie Baker, Alistair Woods, what's your, what's your okay, drug of choice? LSD. 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 No, it is caffeine. Oh. Caffeine messes up spiders more than anything else. Which made me think of Charlie Baker's personal food. <laughs> yeah, so actually, yeah, we, we, we teased this story a little bit in the first episode. I think this is probably a good, a good time. Do you want me to fill the listeners in, in in what we're talking about here, Charlie? Or are you happy to kind of talk them through? I what? often think these stories are best told by somebody else. I... <laughs> right, okay. Well, I'll, I'll dive on in, but feel free to interject if I get any of the facts wrong. You know, I wouldn't yeah. portray you in a bad light, unfairly. <laughs> um, so basically, there was it must have been about two years ago, Charlie, I'd say. Yeah. A year and a half, perhaps. And Charlie was basically going out for his morning runs What's well, living in, in Totley, which is kind of right on the edge of Sheffield, right on the edge of the moorlands, basically. So straight out the back door and onto the hills. And Charlie was going out running. Heartland, heartland of our running club, Totley That's AC. And so Charlie was going out on his morning runs. And for a period of time, he was kind of really struggling with kind of fluctuations in his heart rate, feeling lightheaded, um, kind of really not feeling great. Um, you know, not just kind of bonky feelings, but yeah, really quite bad. Um, it went on for quite a while. I think you you'd spoke to us all about it at various you know, moments at the pub or pre- Oh, I love to speak about my problems. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, sometimes too much, Charlie. <laughs> so they actually end up having some investigations. This is um, And she described what, what I do as extreme running, which I thought was really interesting in her letter. Um, so I'm trying to think, like, I'm thinking back to when, you know, people were using ironing boards on the sound of mount- side of mountain tops. You know, yeah. like, how, how do I, how do I, freak up running a bit to make it extreme now uh, as I was describing <laughs> you myself. You rucksack full of kettles, that's how you make it extreme. Well, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what it was. Um, yeah, so she, she called it extreme running and uh, I had to go through all these investigations and actually in one of them, I did actually nearly pass out where they, they lie you flat on something called a tilt table and then they bring you up and... Uh, <laughs> The whole room started to sort of just go a bit bit dark and I could feel something in the pit of my stomach. And they were saying, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, you know, all, all sorts yeah, of sleep. woozy and woozy. And, and, uh, and I thought, this, this isn't feeling right. My, my feet are tingling a little bit. Something definitely off. I said, and they sort of, <laughs> there was a sort of you notice a panic around you in the room, but you're sort of spaced out. And then we got, Okay, I was, if I could come back down, and apparently my, my blood pressure had dropped, you know, right into my boots. So I have, I have a sort of lying to standing blood pressure. My blood pressure has a tendency to drop, uh, which we found out was what the cause of it. But the, I think the problem what we were, we were thinking with the caffeine was that my runs would often show a, uh, <laughs> a spiked heart rate in the morning on the old Garmin. And uh, I think Ali became the detective as to why 
I might have been slightly pumped and slightly hyped. Well, that's good. Good. So it was general things of, you know, running in the morning. Are you eating beforehand? You know, some people do fasted runs in the morning. So where they, you know, don't eat before their run, which is, which is fine and, and stuff like that. And then I was like, are you having a cup of coffee before you go for a run? <laughs> which I do. You know, a lot of people do. I know Charlie likes his coffee. And Charlie said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have a cup of coffee and a, perhaps a slice of toast with peanut butter on or something before. And I said, oh, well, that seems fairly legit, you know. I do that. Everyone else seems to do that. And I said, oh, okay. And it was only through, I think, a passing comment you did. And I, I think I said, well, how are you making your coffee? <laughs> if it's, you know, instant coffee, there's less caffeine than an espresso. And if you're using a French press cafetiere, that's different to, you know, using a, an espresso machine. And Charlie goes, oh, I'm using a, a stovetop percolator. I was like, right, okay. So, what? yeah, one of the kind of the mini one-person ones. He goes, oh, well, I don't really know. It's just the percolator I've got. I was like, right. Okay, so so how big is it, Charlie? Oh, it's actually, I don't know, it's, I don't know, six to eight inches tall? About a litre. <laughs> right, okay, Charlie. And I said, so yeah, that, I think that sounds like a, a four-cup percolator. He's like, no, no, but it only pours one cup's worth. And I was like, yes, that's like shots of coffee. That's four shots of coffee you're drinking, Charlie. So Charlie was, yeah, making, yeah, I think, yeah, two double espressos. And have necking that first thing and then going out for his run and wondering why his heart rate was managing to fight so much. It could also explain some park run performances where, you know, I'd been on track for a good 15-minute park run. And, and well, I was going <laughs> to say this is, this is the Percy Pud thing, right? Because you, you, uh, we ran, Percy Pud's like a really great local to us, local to Sheffield 10K in winter uh, and it, it's just brilliant. Anyway, we ran it together. We agreed to meet up. Well, we, I think we drove down together, didn't we, Charlie? Yeah. yeah. And you'd had, you'd had at least one of your four person, <laughs> your quadruple espressos, maybe two. And one you were, like, you know, even by yeah. your standards, you were, you were <laughs> bouncing off the ceiling that morning. And uh, and I think it was like like you described. Yeah, you, you got off to a flyer, you know, sort of four minutes fifty final. <laughs> for the first the couple of miles <laughs> and then uh, then maybe it didn't quite go quite so well in the second half which is surely it's to do with the uh, yeah the spiders on the spiders on caffeine effect it could well be I think but that's anyway I think we've actually we've uh, we, we managed to totally lose the thread of Tom's uh, yeah, yeah. well, I, th- I think probably all the listeners can can, can sort for themselves. But Tom is a, a great, interesting chap to listen to, and he's kind of got a great different outlook on on life and running. And I don't know if I speak for myself, but I absolutely loved having him on for that. And you know, we've what you've just listened to, everybody is kind of quite an edited version of of what we talked about. And we we talked, I think, for a good hour, if not more. Um, and we, I think we could have quite happily gone on all day, couldn't we, guys? So. Um, mm. I know at some point I personally would like to have Tom on again at some point because yeah, so he's he's um, yeah he's a great lad and uh, yeah talked about some really interesting things. Um, yeah, definitely. And thanks, Tom, for for being a guinea pig yeah. <laughs> and agreeing agreeing to be interviewed by us. <laughs> yeah. So um, so Jamie, what have we got coming up over the coming weeks? I know we've got a few more people lined up. Again, in our typical style, we've not. I didn't even text anybody yet to ask if they're going to come on. But what have we got coming up in the, in the pipeline, Jamie? Yeah, let's announce it before before uh, agreeing it, Jamie. What have we got? Well, uh, we've got plenty of really interesting guests lined up. But as a little teaser, 
you can expect to hear from a female great British mountain runner who hadn't even run on mountains until last summer. We'll be talking to someone who was voted the happiest person in the UK and who has also survived special forces selection. We're going to be joined by an incredible veteran runner who can share some tips for longevity in running. And there'll be plenty more awesome insights and stories amongst all of that too. And that, dear listener, is actually the end of episode two of our On The Back Foot podcast. You've reached the finish line. Well done. Make sure you pat yourself on the back and then upload this activity to Strava. Whoever you are, wherever you are, have a great week and we look forward to speaking to you soon. Goodbye. Thank you.